0: Last night, I was up kind of late praying, and and I, I was still thinking about hope. And this this scripture, uh, I'm not even going to read it today, actually. But this verse in Hebrews three came to my mind that that talks about hope. And so I opened the Bible, and i i was I was just going to like read these couple verses, you know, to like help me think and process. And and uh, instead, I read those couple verses, and then I read the rest of the book of Hebrews then I was like, well, I read the whole book. I should probably read one and two also. So I went back and like finished it. And I pretty much read Hebrews again this morning. Um, I don't really know what happened. It's just that I started reading a couple of verses and then like the, the spirit just came on me. And I was like, oh man, there's, there's something here. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm just going to keep reading. Cause I, you know, even if I don't have anything good to say tomorrow, then this feels right for right now. You know, you ever been there before? I don't know. It's like, you're just following the spirit and like, you know, you you didn't intend to read a whole book of the Bible, but there you are, and you do. So, um, so I've read the book of Hebrews a couple times, and and that's that's led me to a couple other places in Scripture. And I just want to kind of present you guys some of the some of my thoughts with like a portion of Hebrews that really stuck out to me. And this is uh, this does tie into what Jordan talked about last week. This does tie into the hope that we are called to have through Christ and the way that we're supposed to live our life, the way we're supposed to approach our life. You know, we're we're called to do things um, like live in the Spirit and live by faith. For those of you who, who's in a shepherding group? Huh? Okay, cool. Well, if you have been faithfully reading, which I'm sure all of you have in your shepherding group, um, then lately we've been in Romans, and uh, Romans 8 was pretty recent, and, and it keeps talking about living by the Spirit. And, you know, I've realized as I was reading through Hebrews, I was like, man, it's hard for us to to do any of this stuff if we have no hope. Like, hope is really kind of a starting place. Like, if you dig deep down in yourself and you find nothing to look forward to or nothing that you're believing in, you're really, like, it's really a hard starting place, right? It's really hard to, to grab from there. In fact, the Bible says that faith is the assurance of the things that we hoped for. So if we didn't have anything we we're hoping for in the first place, how can we have faith, right? And if there's nothing we're hoping for down in there, then how are we supposed to like, let the Spirit like you know, lead us into to living out the truth of that? So hope is really an important starting place. And so I just kind of want to dig into that, that thought today and, like, and just be really simple about it. You know, sometimes we get really complicated with it. But by the end of what I'm talking about, I want to just bring you some really simple things that I think you can have hope in. Um, because last week as Jordan was processing, I was like, this is good, this is good, but where do I start? And then um, if, you were, if you were here last week, you'll know that Jordan asked if anyone had a message in tongues. And I came up and I kind of shared a couple words of like another language that were running through my mind. And uh, I, I said, I have no idea what this means, but I kind of feel like that it means that we're supposed to open up the window and just let a little sunlight in. Like, if you, can't, if you can't go all the way for hope, then let a little bit of hope in, you know? And uh, it was actually really cool, because I've never had anyone try to, to look up what I said in tongues before, but my brother got the inkling to look up the words that I said in tongues, and I said two words, and the second one was the word that in Japanese means sun. Um, so I was like, whoa, okay, I actually said a word, cool. Um, so do with, do with that whatever you want, but I was encouraged by it. And so, um, so I just feel like that I want to give you a, hopefully give you a starting place today. Like if you're in a place of saying like, I, I just don't have a lot of hope right now. Maybe I can give you an idea to start with and a, and a place to begin. And if you do have some hope, then we're going to hope that it, uh, then we're going to hope that it grows, uh, into something more as we read through the story. So. Um, We're going to start out today by reading in Hebrews 6, uh, starting in verse 9. And uh, God, I just ask that you would just bring clarity today. Um, This has been a kind of a muddled journey for me of reading and hearing you and feeling you and um, really wanting to know what you have to say. And I know all the people in this room really want to know what you have to say. So God, let let us get it today. Let us grab hold of it. Um, don't Don't let it pass us by. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read this scripture. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherited, inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. That's actually a really interesting verse. I'm going to not skip it just because I think it's cool. It it says, they say, you know, most people, whenever they make an oath, they swear by someone who's greater than them because it, like, gives power to what they say, right? If you say, like, man, uh, I'm going to do this thing for you. And then the person's like, you know, they don't really trust you that much. They're like, you promise? You're like, man, I... I, I swear on my mother's grave, you know, like you, people say ridiculous things in that in that blank, and it's like trying to swear on something that's so monumental that the person's like, oh man, he probably wouldn't say that if he was lying. Um, he's not that good, but he's not that bad, you know. Um, but like God, the point here is they're like, hey, God doesn't have anyone to swear by. What he says, and if you put that verse back up, that I will, uh, I will surely bless you. And give you many descendants. So I, th- I think that their point is like he could have voiced it like you're going to have a bunch of kids. You're going to have a bunch of descendants, right? But like instead he makes it personal and it's like a personal promise that's guaranteed by his name. Like there's no name greater for him to swear by. So he says, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So today, like, when we talk about hope, we're talking about the promises of God, okay? So if we don't understand, like, the the gravity of of when God makes a promise, like, the weight that's upon it, then we're going to, it's going to be very difficult for us to hope in anything, because the things that we have out there to hope for are the things that God has promised. All right, let's go to verse 15. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear, by the way, by waiting patiently, Abraham received by what is promised. I might just stop and talk every verse, okay? Um, You know when Abraham received what was promised? Like, a really long time after he died, okay? Like, I mean, he's still receiving it, okay? I mean, what, what Abraham received while he was living is like a token of what was promised, right? He received a son. But Abraham... And, and you can say that Abraham, like, eternally has has now received what he has promised. But what Abraham was promised is still playing out, like, from now into the future. So Abraham waited very patiently, okay? It wasn't like Abraham waited a, a little bit for this promise, like, until he had a son. No, Abraham is is still getting what was promised to him. All right, let's keep going people swear by someone greater than themselves and the earth and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. That's what I was talking about. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled, to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That is what we're talking about today. Like that's that's the point of why, why Jordan and I are, are going to camp here for a second on hope. Because this is what hope is for us. It's an anchor for our soul. I don't know about you, but whenever I don't have hope, I can I can relate to this, like in the opposite way. Like I feel... My soul, like, oh, uh, what am I really holding on to right now? I don't feel really great about life. Like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing here, even though I theoretically, like, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I know what I'm doing here. But something inside me like, is still like, hey, what am I doing here? You know, what's the point? And we have this hope as an anchor for the soul to hold it firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. We're going to talk more about that where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is really interesting, and we're going to talk about him. This Melchizedek was a king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also... King of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Let's leave it on that verse for a second, Chris. Um, So Melchizedek is this, I mean, he's a really interesting figure in the Bible. And I say that not because there's a lot about him in the Bible, but because he seems to be such a monumental figure here in Hebrews, and there's very little about him in the Bible. We're actually about to go read what is what there is about him written in scripture, and it's like a few verses. That's it. Um, wow, my belly just made the craziest noise. I don't know if anyone could hear it, but I, apparently I'm hungry. I wish I, I really wish I could have like, yeah, put the mic up to it because y'all would have been like, y'all would have been stunned. Okay. So it says, um, they're making a deal of Melchizedek in this verse because it says, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, okay? We don't know anything much about Melchizedek. What we do know is that supposedly he was a priest and a king, but he had no lineage of being a priest, okay? Okay. I assume maybe he inherited being a king by his lineage, but he didn't have a lineage of being a priest. Whereas, like as we move forward in Scripture, then we see all the people that are priests are descendants of Aaron and they're Levites, right? But this is before that; those people don't even weren't even born yet. Okay, so he he couldn't be a Levite. He actually, we have no idea about his genealogy. We just know that he was a priest, and so he says without. Without the beginning of days or the end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Okay? So we have this really tight tie between Melchizedek and Jesus, and we know almost nothing about Melchizedek. So does everyone want to say that name? It's kind of fun. Try it. Y'all are doing great. Okay. Let's go read about, uh, well, okay. Let me, let me give a couple thoughts here, and then we're going to go read about him. <clears throat> First of all, in this scripture, um, we get to see what happens when God makes a promise, um, both earthly and heavenly. Okay? Like, God comes to Abraham, and we, it makes this huge deal about how God, he didn't only make a promise to him, like, he made an oath, right? He swore by his own name. And he, he made him both an earthly promise and a heavenly promise, right? Like Abraham is has the same eternal promise that he's looking forward to as all of us do. But at the same time, like to, um, to lead him in that direction, God gives other promises, which is you're going to be the father of many nations, right? Your descendants will, will outnumber the sand, right? And and he gives him he also ends up giving him a promise that he can hold on to that's a little bit easier for him to grab onto which is a son god's promises for the future they are our hope and that is what anchors our soul if you cannot if you don't have a promise from god if you don't know what a promise what promise from god you're holding on to then it is impossible for you to have hope and it is impossible for your soul to be anchored. You're just going to kind of float about life trying to figure out what's going on and probably being like fully guided by your emotions. But if you have a hope of something that you know God has promised, then it gives you something to anchor you. And where does it anchor our souls? It says it anchors our souls behind the curtain of the temple. And it says... Um, That Jesus was the one who went behind the curtain, just like in the the nature of Melchizedek, okay? I know I'm kind of rambling, but it's a bunch of random things, seemingly, that actually pull together to tell a story. So let's go back and read about Melchizedek in Genesis 14. Okay, so just to let you know what's going on here, there's, there's basically been like World War One half, I guess. Can't be World War One, We already have that. Um, like there's a giant battle going on, okay? Like a bunch of countries, a bunch of nations, a bunch of kings, a bunch of armies. And so at the end of this, it says that these, these four kings seize all of the goods from Sodom and Gomorrah and all of their food, and then they went away, okay? They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Enner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. That dude has 318 trained men living in his house. Born in his house, actually. I don't know how many lived there. There were apparently 318 of them that were born there. Abram was bawling. Um, During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. I don't know how many people are in these armies, but like Abram just took 300 and something guys and, and went and like wrecked these armies. I'm going to guess they had a lot more people than that. So that's also like, it's the little details in these scriptures that you don't notice, you know, you just kind of read it. Then you're like, wait a second, that doesn't, you know, doesn't normally make sense. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Lamor and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. That's it. That's all we know about Melchizedek, right there. And like now we're equating Jesus to his lineage in like, you know, this really strong way. Um. I want to talk about why Jesus is uh, said to be in the lineage of Melchizedek. For one, Jesus is both a king and a priest. And that's something that we know about Melchizedek, is that he was a king and a priest. And we know that he was a priest not because of his lineage. We know that Jesus did not come from the line of Levi he came from the line of Judah and had Jesus been a priest from the line of Levi then it would have signified that people were to continue living by the old covenant that the levite priests lived by and offered sacrifices by and led the Israel, israelite people by because the the israelite the levite priests would once a year they would enter into the holy place, but not just the holy place because they went there fairly often, but they would enter behind the curtain, okay, into the holy of holies. And I'm, I'm probably not telling you something you've never heard before. They would enter into the holy of holies and they would offer a blood sacrifice on behalf of themselves, on behalf of the people of Israel. And what they would do is because in the holy of holies, this is actually where the presence of God dwelt, and so it was actually really, really dangerous. If they went into the Holy of Holies and they were not in a place of righteousness, then they would immediately die. And so apparently, this happened enough times that they decided, you know what? We're going to, let's be practical. We're going to start tying some bells on them, right? So they started attaching bells to the garments that they would wear once a year. So that way, when they walked into the Holy of Holies, if the jingle, jingle, jingle stopped after a little while, then they would reach down and grab the rope that was attached to their foot and drag them out of the holy of holies because they would know they must not have been that righteous. They died. That's a pretty intense scene. Um, in contrast, Jesus is uh, Jesus is not operating in a covenant in which we need someone to go for us into the Holy of Holies and to make a sacrifice. But rather, when Jesus is crucified, actually the, the, the veil of the curtain in the temple was torn in half, signifying that no longer was there a Holy of Holies confined to one place, but that we as a people get to pursue in new covenant a relationship directly with God our Father, right? I'm going to mention some other similarities between Melchizedek and Jesus. When Melchizedek comes and, and, uh, to meet Abraham, it says, let's remember that they're in the middle of a war zone, right? And he, what does he come out with? He comes out with bread and wine. And I think this is, this is really, really symbolic, obviously. I mean, not only that Jesus would later tell us, you know, this is my body broken for you and this is my blood poured out for you um, and to do this in remembrance. Um, but also just that it's, it's such a sign of peace and such a sign of, um, like it's not very sensible. You don't normally sit down and have a meal in the middle of a war zone where you've just been having a big battle and people are probably laying dead all over the place. This is a weird place to like, you know what? Let's have some bread and wine, you know? And I feel like that this is even, like, signified and hinted at when we, when we read the 23rd Psalm, right? Like, he prepares, uh, he prepares a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Another thing that Melchizedek does then is he comes out and he both blesses Abraham and gives praise to God, and this is the role of a priest, right? Um, but in the Old Testament, the role of a priest, yeah, it was to give praise to give praise to God, and it was to make atonement for people's sins. But like, it doesn't seem to me that people were getting some great blessing of, uh, you know, like that once a year. Yeah, they like they got to not die for their sins for the next year, and that's cool. But they weren't living some amazing blessed life guided by the Spirit. Uh, But in this case, Melchizedek blesses Abram, and in the same way, Jesus brings a blessing to us as a priest. We see that Abraham gives him a tenth of everything he has, which, by the way, had to be like an incredible amount, because we just found out how many people... We're we're living in his house. So like he comes and gives him. you know what? Thanks for blessing me. I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that I own. That's, That's pretty wild. God expects as he blesses us and as he is our high priest, he does expect a lot from us. He does expect us to be generous with our lives in return. It says that his name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. And that king of Salem means king of peace. So we see that Jesus is our king, both who brings righteousness and who brings peace, who allows you to live a life that's full of righteousness and full of peace, no matter where you may be, even if you find yourself in a war zone. So Melchizedek to me is just, it's just really interesting that we have such a tiny little piece and then we, and then we have him so closely tied with Jesus and I want you to see this too. When Melchizedek blesses Abram, it doesn't say what he says. But I think that it's closely tied to what happens about three verses later. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness keep wanting to call him Abraham. That's not his name yet. But um, So Melchizedek's blessing, like it doesn't say what it was, but I actually think that he was blessing him to have this moment with God. And this is a pretty big moment. Like this is the moment that like starts basically all of Christian history, right? Like, hey, you're going to have descendants more than you could possibly count. And all of this is begun by Melchizedek giving praise to God and blessing Abram. Okay, we're going to go back to Hebrews and we're going to finish out the day there. We're going to go to Hebrews uh, 7, 11 through 22. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. So I think that, that what we have to realize here is that whenever Jesus was our, the final sacrifice and whenever the Holy of Holies was open to us, that like we have to actually believe and take hold of a hope that Jesus is the guarantor of something better. In other places in Scripture, it says that God gave you the Spirit as a guarantee, right? Like how do you even know like, we've all at some point gone, like, am I really saved? Like, at some moment in your life, you've asked yourself that question, you know? Um, and I would say the answer to that is yes and no. Like, yeah, you are saved for things right now, but, like, the ultimate salvation comes later, and the guarantor of that ultimate salvation is Jesus. And the only way that we have access to, to God is by coming through Jesus and the Holy of Holies. So my encouragement to you is that there's a lot of hope that we have to gather by entering the Holy of Holies. And for us, I think that the best equivalent of that is actually just spending time with God, like going and being quiet and spending time in this, you know, Holy of Holies with our Father and like getting to know Him and listening to Him. But a lot of times we don't do this as much as we should because we are not very encouraged. We don't do this as much as we should because we don't have a hope. Like sometimes it feels tedious and sometimes you feel like there are other things that are more important to do right this moment. It's not that you think they're more important, but you think they're more important to do right now. The problem is that is that continually putting this off because we don't have a hope <laughs> leaves us with less hope and less hope and less hope. Every time we avoid the Holy of Holies, every time we avoid um, coming through our high priest, Jesus, to the Father, then we have less hope. I want to keep reading in Hebrews. And then I'm going to give you some just kind of like final thoughts that I think you can hold on to. I'm not going to be really long. Hebrews 8, 10 through 12. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time declares the Lord. Okay. As you read through Hebrews, Paul kind of teases you a lot. Like you keep going like he keeps going and there's this hope and there's this promise, but then he never says what the hope is or the promise is for 8 chapters. You're like, "Come on, dude, like I that's part of the reason I kept reading last night. I was like, I need the answer to this, but you just keep like throwing out little ideas and not, it's like not finishing the sentences, you know? So he finally finishes a sentence pretty much in, in Hebrews 8. This is the covenant that I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's a pretty gnarly promise. That's a cool covenant to grab a hold of. Go back to verse 10 for me, Chris. This is such a cool covenant to grab a hold of. Like, not only... Not only will you be saved, being like salvation to me, sometimes I think we need to get better at this. So let me give that caveat. But sometimes, to be honest, salvation to me seems so far off and like in this future reality that I'm believing for and expecting. And I do believe for it, but sometimes it's really hard to have a hold of it. Like sometimes it's just like kind of slips through my fingers when I try to grab it. And that's something that I feel like God's working on me is like having a more present in constant and consistent belief and hope for the world that is to come, but for the moment, this is something that we can grab onto. He will write His laws on your mind, and He will write His laws on your heart. He will be your God, and you will be His people. That's something that is worth me living for. Is like coming to the to this place where. No longer is it this struggle within myself to figure out who I am or how I'm going to do it or how I'm going to trust God or how I'm going to do great things for God. Because if God writes that on my heart, then it's going to be so deeply ingrained. I'm not going to be like wondering over it and confused over it. Like, oh, what am I supposed to do for God? No, he's going to write his laws on your heart. So you're no longer going to live confused or without purpose, but God is going to write it. Directly on your heart and give you an eternal purpose. And then we jump forward to chapter 9. This is the last scripture we're going to read from Hebrews here. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant, in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is enforced only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. And this was the reason that Jesus had to go to the cross. It was because he had written a will. One of a great inheritance. And that inheritance could not be complete. Until his blood was shed. Until this moment of death. Now of course we know that Jesus is alive. But within his death. You became heirs. You became those who would inherit an eternal promise. Something that is much bigger to hold on to. God's promises are the hope that leads us behind the curtain. And behind the curtain is where we find God Himself, and all eternity is found in Him. So it's good. We know, we know that. God made promises. We know that we're heirs. We know that we're supposed to have hope. But then I'm like, okay, I just want to like, I want to like clarify this, cement this in my mind. I want to have hope, but which promises should I grab onto? And I know that there are a lot of promises in scripture, but I wrote down a handful of promises that I felt like were really like highlighted in these scriptures of like, these are the things you're supposed to hold on to. These are the things that if if you want to live a life full of hope or you want to take that further and you want to live a life full of faith or a life led by the Spirit, then these are places that you can start as you start by believing these things. You start by hoping in these things. The first one is that God will bless you and show up with bread and wine anytime you are in a war zone. He will show up with righteousness and with peace. So I don't know about you, but like when life gets crazy, my, my, a lot of times my first inclination, when, I, when I'm in a really healthy place, my first inclination is like, God, what's going on? When I'm not in the healthiest place, then my, my uh, inclination to ask God what's going on comes in like two or three days, you know, after I've really molded over and tried to solve the problem. Um. But, like, selfishly, one of the first things that I want is a life of peace. I don't want to be, like, grabbed and thrown about by everything that happens in my life, you know? Like, just absolutely controlled by the events of my day and by the the emotions and the instincts that brings up in me. I instead want to be a righteous person who lives in peace. And in the middle of the worst circumstances, that I have peace And that I partake in the bread and the wine. And that's what God promises you. God promises that He will write His laws on your mind and heart. This is an anchor for your soul, not a life of wondering and worrying. But you will know Him, you will know His ways and they will keep your soul anchored. He promises that he will forgive you and remember your sins no more. That one's underrated. I mean, like, we make a big deal of it, it's still really underrated, you know? Like, sometimes we get away from the really, really basics. God will forgive you and remember your sins no more. I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of things in my life that I want to be forgiven. And that's pretty monumental. He promises that you will have an, an eternal inheritance. Last week in the shepherding group, we, I, I mentioned we read from Romans 8. That's what it was all about. You're going to have an eternal inheritance. Do you have that scripture, Chris, Did I give you Romans 8? Let's read that. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There it is again. There's your promise. Like the the spirit is there to guide you. It doesn't promise you like an easy life. It actually promises you suffering. Sorry, I, I can't change the scripture. It's there. But it does. Like we're promised suffering, but in the middle of that suffering, It's just back to the first thing that I said he promises us. He promises us the bread and the wine in the middle of the suffering. And as long as we can keep our eyes focused on that hope, then we are able to endure the suffering, and we can share in his glory, and we are co-heirs with Christ, both as kings and priests. Just like Melchizedek. We'll come back and finish with that in a second. God gives us Promises, and he gives us oaths, and he gives us tokens. Right? Like, I mean, we have we have promises from God when he says, "I will surely do this." Like, that's what God said. Like, that's an oath. That's an that's unbreakable. God cannot lie. And not only does he give us a promise, because I think that he is really aware of how human we are. Like. A really far off promise is really hard for us to hope for sometimes. You know, it's like when you're trying to accomplish something in life, most people will tell you to break it down into small goals. That's cuz it's it's really hard to just like sustain effort for a long time based on a goal that seems really far away. But God also in my experience seems to be faithful to give us tokens that lead toward that promise. Abram had to have a token And his token was Isaac. His token was a son that was impossible to conceive. Right? And so if we anchor our hope, we anchor our souls in the promises of God, then what you can be confident of is that God will not leave you only like wanting and wishing for something that's far away that you'll never experience. Although that is the greatest promise. He will also give you tokens throughout your life that's like, hey, here's some of the fulfillment of what I promised you. Here's some more of the fulfillment of what I promised to you. So these, these things are like are, are a hope that just grounds us if we actually will participate in them. But if we live life just thinking about whatever we have to get done that day, like We call it the whirlwind around here in like staff meetings. Like we say, don't always get caught up in the whirlwind. What are you going to do that's not in the whirlwind? Because life is a whirlwind. Life just throws things at you constantly every day. It's really hard. Like I run a business and it's really hard every day in the business for my to-dos to not just be governed by what is most pressing, right? Like here's an emergency I have to solve. Here's another emergency I have to solve. Right, Max? Max knows what I'm talking about. But like, (laughs) um, but if you don't ever do future planning, if you don't ever like intentionally do future planning, then like it never happens and your business never grows and it doesn't go that well. And at some point you're taking care of every emergency leaves you with a different emergency, which is that you don't have a business, okay? Um, What I'm saying is, That's how we tend to live life. We tend to live every day with whatever comes at us, and we don't tend to live life intentionally seeking the hopes that God has laid out for us. So that's all I'm trying to do today is remind you that because of the priesthood and kingship of Jesus, that we have hopes that we need to grab onto, and we need to intentionally grab onto them. No one is going to grab onto them for you. They're not going to magically hit you because I'm talking about it. Like, you may have absolutely zero inspiration from what I'm saying today. That's okay. You don't actually need it. What you actually need to do is acknowledge that you believe and that you have hope for that, that Jesus has a purpose, not only for your life right now, but for eternity, and that you have access to the Holy of Holies, and that if you will choose to go there every day, that God will anchor your soul in this hope and it will become more than a hope. It will become a fruitful tree of life. Because what happens whenever we actually choose to participate in hope on a regular basis is that then we become co-heirs of Christ. And what do we inherit? We inherit one day becoming kings along with Jesus, co-heirs. But right now, The Bible says that we are the priesthood of believers. That's what you've inherited right now. You are, I'm blessing all of you right now, you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek and the order of Jesus. You have been ordained as a priest to go to those who are far away, who are disconnected, and to bring reconciliation. That's what the Bible says. It says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Y'all with me? So first, we have to go into the Holy of Holies. It's open. It's been provided for us. We have to go into the Holy of Holies. We have to hope in the promises that God has set out for us. I gave you promises that all of us share. Okay? You may also have promises that you know that God's given you personally. You can grab a hold of those too. But if you don't have any, I just gave you five of them. There's hope for now. There's hope for eternity. And I was, I was really trying to like wrap all this together in my mind. And I was like, God, how do I even remember this? And um, my favorite scripture came to my mind. And I was like, oh my gosh, it has like all of it. So we're going to finish by reading the 23rd Psalm. David seems to have this magical way throughout the Psalms of bridging things together. And those things are commonly history of what God has done and like present emotion and like humanness and dealing with life and then like prophecy and the beauty of all that is to come in eternity. And somehow David's poems commonly bring all these things together. So I'm going to read the 23rd Psalm, and I want you to just, as I read it, I want you to let hope arise in you. And if you need something to pray, and you need something to hope in this week, then I'm just going to invite you to simply go read the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Even if you have nothing else to stand on, you can even just do verses five and six. You can say i over and over all day. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even in the middle of a war zone, he anoints my head with oil and my cup overflows. I mean like these are insane promises. These are these are so good. It's not only the it's not only the safety, it's not only the peace, but it's the blessing. And that's what I want you to get like like Jesus didn't die so you could like make it into heaven and be okay. He he died so that you could be blessed and so that you could have communion with God. And so that your cup could overflow. So that goodness and mercy could follow you all of the days of your life. And if you can't be hopeful that goodness and mercy are going to follow you all the days of of your life, then I don't know what you could hope for. And we get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever.